Hi, everyone. I've been looking forward to sharing today's podcast. We record live from Spain, where we're working on a really exciting project that you'll hear more about soon. In the meantime, each of my books, Storytelling with Data and forthcoming Storytelling with Data, Let's Practice, which will be released in October 2019, have an entire chapter focused on the importance of thinking like a designer. What better way to get insight into this mindset than to speak with three fantastic designers from Z1? Z1 is a technology design and engineering digital production studio located in the beautiful city of Seville. Tune in to hear us chat about the important role of empathy in design, low-tech wireframes research and user feedback for de-risking projects, and the challenge of attachment and how to overcome it. Plus learn what hiding the dragon can teach us about defining functionality and building products that delight our users. I hope you enjoy today's episode of the Storytelling with Data podcast on thinking like a designer. Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole nussbaumer Naflik. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hi, this is Cole. Things may sound a little different here today because I am in Seville, Spain. You may hear an air conditioner kick on because it's uh, about 40 degrees outside. For those in Fahrenheit, that's about 104 degrees. But I'm very excited because I am joined today by Hector, Lucia, and Juan from Z1. And we'll talk a little bit more about what Z1 is momentarily, but first off, welcome. And I'm super curious. This is my first time in Seville. And for those out here who haven't had the opportunity to come to Sevilla before, what makes Seville unique? Who who wants to to answer? (laughs) Well, I think Sevilla is really interesting because it's a big city, but it's not a really huge city. Mm -hmm. So everything is approachable. You can go everywhere by walk. And I think that is really, uh, that's something really good because you can um, visit the city in a totally different way. Yeah, exactly. And by bike or walking. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's a manageable city to live in. And um, also it has a... A nice mix between like modern things but also traditional things right so so yeah yeah it's it's a city with a lot of history i mean that's sometimes it's incredible but our buildings that are hundreds of years and <laughs> yeah. old and and, they, and we just pass by them and we don't realize about that but when the tourists come they i mean they their minds blown up yeah, and that's actually a good segue, you know, when we start to think about the architecture and the design, right? Our topic today is design. So let's twist this around into how is Seville unique from a design standpoint? I don't know design specifically, but I, w- one thing that I'm pretty sure is that in the south of Spain and, and also in the south of Europe, there is some some sort of creativity around how we are as people and hanging out in the streets and how we are so passionate about or the things that we like from life, right? So I think it, that's something we can apply to design too. And, and it's something that finally is something we, we like to do at set one or C one for our American friends. And yeah, I, I feel it's part of the city in some way. This is a city, but uh, where 
any person can approach to you and talk in an easy manner. So I think that design has a, or at least we try to put that in place that empathy is super important for design. And I feel that the Southern people from Sibylla is empathic from early days in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're teach to be like that. So probably that's part of what I think it could be important. Yeah. Yeah, empathy, which translates to so many different things in designs, right? Thinking about our users, thinking about how they'll interact. Let's back up. And Hector, can you talk a bit about Z1? Well, yeah, we, we're a digital product studio. Uh, basically, we're partnering with the startup founders or technology companies and in our two to create products or from zero to one. That's where it's after the, the name. and. Uh, or to evolve a product that is already exists as an MVP or, or wherever. And basically we have a multidisciplinary team from researchers, designers, engineers. And what we try to have as a unique skill as a company is that we try to approach every project as a product with a product vision. We are not an agency, a design agency just designing or, or a dev shop just uh, coding. It's more like okay, what do we want to build here? How do we prioritize things? How do we know if this is valuable valuable for the user or not? So at the end, that makes sometimes project to be more complex in, in some way, but it's, a, it's our main goal as a company. So there's so many interesting topics to get into when it comes to design and, and so many different ways we could tackle this, but I have some really specific questions for you, but maybe before we get there, start broad. And I'm curious, how would you articulate what comprises good design, right? When a design is effective, what does that mean? Said <laughs> <laughs> so we'd start broad. <laughs> for me, I work as a UX designer, so probably I'm influenced by that. But for me, uh, design needs to be useful, uh, needs to be clear about how the information is displayed. And of course, there is an um, aesthetical approach or condition about the design. But for me, it needs to be useful more than anything. Yeah, and sometimes we don't perceive that, right? In a product that probably is super simple and that, but it's well designed because we perceive that it's simple to use and easy to use, right? So it, it sounds a little fluffy, but it's true. I mean, it's mm -hmm. uh, design. The first thing that when we are thinking about the design project, what we're trying to put is piece together in order to make it work, right? Not make it look fancy or, or edgy, right? It's more like, okay, this is working. It's, it's like, it's consistent. It, it makes the user to use the tool easier, right? So now I think we, we are very, very sold on that, right? And it's, uh, it's not uh, fluffy words only. Yeah, it, and it sounds like an easy thing, right? We should make things simple, we should make them usable, but that's actually very hard to achieve, right, in, in an eloquent way. Can you talk a little bit about your process, right, of wireframes and being low-tech and, and how you flesh out the specifics of a project? I would like to, to add this story behind this. Uh, traditionally, software was built by engineers from the, the first day to the last one, right? So. Uh, what design is, is doing now from Airbnb, Google, and all these companies are trying to change the, the, the way it's like trying to understand what we're building, right? Before putting any line of code. So because of that, we start with lo-fi requirements and think about the pieces that are part of the product, right? So And for those listening who may not know the terminology, I actually don't even uh, totally okay. know the terminology. What's lo-fi? 
Okay, so it's like uh, getting all your ideas in images, but not images, uh, <laughs> lo-fi images. Okay. Like, uh, for example, some sketches components. Or yes, sketches. And so uh, you have all the components that you're going to need and that are not going to be beautiful yet and everything. It's going to be just the essential. Mm -hmm. So uh, the client or the people that are going to use that uh, understand what they are going to use. I, I, yeah, I'm use sorry, it. that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we use it for testing too, right? Like at the end, it's an early version of the screens. We are not paying attention to fonts, colors, or anything like that. It's more like, okay, this makes sense. Like the navigation, the how the layout is, is, is put here in this flow. And we test with users and we also test with partners and clients in order to make them feel like they, if something that is uh, close to what they have in mind, right? So it's an early state that actually we, we have like some uh, engineers also joining that process because it's not only a design thing, it's more a product thing actually, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's about defining the functionality of the product that you're designing. So. And so when we say lo-fi, it's about to avoid the visual or the aesthetical part of the website. So those decisions cannot condition functionality. Exactly. So Yeah, because before you do the wireframes, you have a list of all the functionalities you have to have in, mm -hmm. in a website or in a product, uh, digital, digital product. So with wireframing, what you do is putting uh, those functionalities together and in a way that they work. So in this page, in this screen, we are going to have this functionality and this other one because they are related and, and we think that the user are going to find it useful to have yeah. them together. Mm -hmm. So it's like situation. It's a, it's a start in the conversation because for me, it's like, okay, if you have a requirement, it's like, uh, okay, how traditional we did it in the software is like, the, the user can search. It's like, what does it mean, right? An engineer, if you take like 10 engineers and use that term, that sentence, they can be like 50 different products from there, right? So it's more like, okay, we have that statement. How we should look, this is, is this a mobile app? Is this a product, platform, a marketplace? Okay, who, who is the, our user? Is, is old, is young? So at the end, it's a way of, okay, let's talk about the functionality, but let's putting in a screen in a lo-fi and trying, trying to understand also because it's something that we have been doing here, right? It's like in the way you're putting the pieces together, you're also analyzing the product, you're shaping the product, you are... When you're talking about it, exactly. right? Some of the conversations that that sparks, right? When I think of our past couple of days together and just actually on that note, we've been working on some really cool stuff that we're excited to share with those listening soon. But we are having conversations and you know we're writing things on the whiteboards and on sticky notes and moving things around, which as we've seen works so well in person. But, and you do a lot of work remotely. How do you bring that tactile in-person conversations how do you replicate that in a remote environment well uh, we try to do as, as smooth as possible right I mean the, for sure it's not the same work in the same place than remote but I think it's a, it's a matter of communication level like some tools like Envision or Miro or other tools that are trying to replicate what we do in person but in, in a digital product and then it's also a matter of uh, trying to understand the, the other part, right? Like 
it's also that we need to from our clients and partners like trying to understand how do we perceive the, the product and and us like trying to understand their goals because i think that's the the, um, the big thing here anyway i feel that that yeah a whiteboard is a, is a good exercise and it's super nice and also it has been very nice to have you here a couple of days working together but it, i also i also think that some work can be done for each member in in isolation like trying to think then putting together in a remote way and and trying to be very communicative because i think the downside of this kind of session is that sometimes a lot of information is spread around the the, the room right and it's not very well documented so everything has up and downs yeah and actually, on on the idea of audience, right? You talk about with your clients and interacting with them in ways that help you build a robust picture of what they're looking for. This is, this is one of those spaces that's very similar to in data visualization, right? You're designing a graph for somebody to eventually do something with. So I'm curious in your process of how do you ensure you're on the same page and that you understand your audience's needs, right? How do you design with your audience or your user in mind? Well. Um, there are different phases. Mm -hmm. um, for example, at first you have to talk with the with the client what what the client thinks it's going to be the <laughs> the product. Sorry, what they think. They think. Maybe, yeah. Okay. And uh, then you have to make some with with the wireframes and everything. You have to test the users, and you 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 ask the user what they need and do a user journey. Of, so of let me just step back and restate. So this is great, Lucia. So you you talk to your client and then you sort of refine or um, put words around what they need. Yeah. Build that in a low uh, tech, uh, a rough way, let's say, and then you test that with users. Yes. Exactly. And what sort of feedback do you get from users that help you understand if that's the right direction or if you might want to change course? Well, for example, there are, normally there are two different kind of uh, situations. The first one is that when you give a task to the user and they have to do it, and depending on how hard the, the task was for them, and we have yeah, succeed or not. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is that uh, you just show the, the product to the, to the user and you start asking them, um, what are you looking at? What do you think this button uh, is going to take you? Yep. Yeah. What do you think this car is going to be? And th those kind of things. So you, you have and so feedback. are you literally sitting one-on-one -on -one with users to do that? Or how are you collecting that feedback? Oh, well, it depends because yeah. um, uh, that one is with the low file prof and wireframes, but maybe maybe we can have before that, we can have a test yeah. uh, with some, some research yeah. and some research with a, with a um, question and, and answers that they can type or maybe they can uh, choose from. It depends also in the product. I mean, sometimes there is an end, end user product and consumer product that the test could be with almost anyone, right? If you are trying to launch a new Instagram, it's like, okay, I want to approach you, anyone, right? But sometimes- So people who may not have any context, right, about exactly. what it is. And they're... you test that. Yep. Sometimes it's very well, I mean, you have a focus on, well, I don't know, this is a marketplace for truck drivers and I don't know, like something like that. So oh, let's find some truck drivers. And like, let's see, actually, if you, take the research part in, in like a big part of the project, the first the first thing that you should do is like observe, for example, like, okay, how do how do they do the task today without the product? 
and trying to take insects from them uh, from from that situation and digitalize in some way, right? So, yeah, it's a process of at the end is researching, like benchmarking with other products in the market, um, recognizing patterns. I think because users are used to use like some patterns in other products, so this is a mix of intuition, empiric process, I think, testing, and finally iterating. I mean, at the end, it's like a scientific method, like iterating a lot and yeah. mistake. Um, something interesting, I think, is that um, normally the experts say that you shouldn't have more than eight users to test, Okay, have, having a test, because in eight um, users, you can have everything that is going to be in, in all the users. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so If you you're smart have, about how you choose the eight? Yeah, of or, course. Okay. <laughs> you, you don't have to have 100 users yeah. testing your wireframes, only eight, and you're going to have some um, some quality answers. It also depends the size of the project. Yeah, of course. The research team at Twitter it's not the same as the research that we can do, right? But <laughs> sure. yeah, of course, of course. But uh, I mean, for a project that we can we yeah, can work on, 10, maybe yeah. and for each iteration, I mean, and you you don't need to have uh, the whole company doing a test. Yep. You you just have to choose randomly, <laughs> or maybe not not randomly because if, if the the iteration is going the, that part of the project is going yeah. to be for this kind of um, role, you have to test that. Role. And there's a there is a test after you launch the product too. Yeah. I mean, when you launch the product, you have to set up some tools for analytics. Right, collecting and data and, and the end, from there. at the end is like testing with users. They yep. are actually actively using the product and you can see what what's happening, why they don't click in the button, why then they don't perform the action properly and things like that. Yeah. And then iterating from there, I imagine. Yes. Right? Going back to the client, because you talked about, you know, we have these initial conversations, we, we, we figure out what they think they want. Do you ever have clients that come to you and they don't know exactly or they don't know exactly what they want? What do you do That's in that our main scenario? Skill. That's yeah. your main skill. Okay. How do you how do you break that down? How do you turn it into something usable? Iterating, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, yeah, it's a, the main vision of the company. We know that there are a lot of entrepreneurs that they want to build something. Yeah. They don't know exactly how to do it. And actually I have to say that when I'm doing like a sales pitching in some way. Uh, one thing that I have detected in entrepreneurs in that is that they are anxious about hiring an agency in that because they don't feel prepared to spec what they want. Yeah. And uh, so they have an idea or they have a problem they want to solve. Exactly. Okay. So we try to fill the gap that, okay, no, no problem. We will be proactive on asking what you will. Uh, and what sort of questions you ask to try to get at that? Well, well, I don't know. Depends. But because one, I think one of the difficult things, uh, Sometimes the customers come with an idea and they have a business. The problem is that for us, we don't know their businesses. So we need to first understand what yeah. what what's the business about. Yeah, get enough context, yeah. right, to be able because to... Because yeah. if we are creating digital products, I mean, we know how to do that. But first, we need to know how to how that business is doing. And then is it a matter of fitting what you're creating into that business or understanding the relative priorities of your client? Yeah, we we try to make them think about the product, not only making decisions. We we can be more opinionated on some specific patterns, like oh, that's an anti pattern, or yep. that interaction doesn't make sense. But regarding the business thing, it's more like a matter of throwing questions, open questions, and yeah, the- and trying to feel like okay, um, but are you sure that? Uh, yeah, it's like okay, where are you more focused on the suppliers, on the end user? 
and depending on that, we can make decisions. But at the end, you are the one and sending that. And, and also, we always see like a, a big part of the success on any project and how focused is that part, right? The, the other part, the client, the partner, if they are super focused on the, on the product, we can build the rest. But mm. we need them to be like super focused on what's really needed. So if you can't get their attention, then yeah, that's a harder thing to make work. And probably that's another question, but sometimes we have a problem that uh, some entrepreneurs want to build a lot of features, a lot of of parts of the product. And it's it's usually the opposite who drives to success. I think uh, that's the most common scenario. People want to create like a super complex tool yeah. and it's difficult. The oversizing of the project is, is, is so common that that's that's why it's yeah. it's important to have like an MVP, like a minimum viable project. Yeah. Project. And also some context of what's technology, right? Because uh, it's very common to, you know, have like guidance like, well, look at Airbnbs. Uh, is doing yeah. this or look at Uber does this it's like well we can talk about the funds they use to do that right so it's a matter of okay where are we now what do we want to achieve and, and we are the experts to say okay you need this part of design this part of engineering and that. so for those who may not be familiar can you talk about you know one you mentioned MVP right what is a minimum viable product how do you define that or how would you define that to someone not familiar um, I think it would be the product that you design and develop uh, for creating the the minimum infrastructure that you need to um, start the the business, so there are lots of functionalities that could be interesting for the user, but they are out of the business. And so, for example, if we, I think, if as we were talking about Airbnb, I think the main goal for everyone is going to Airbnbs to look for an apartment to visit another city, and they can offer you experiences around the city and other tours and things like that but that's not on the main goal if i mean when as we saw those were things that got added later right over time exactly so i think it's it's better to focus first on the on the first needs and then we can move to extra and and this makes total sense but i can totally imagine the scenario that you must encounter all the time where you go into a client you're talking about you know let's simplify let's get it down to the the mvp but your client wants the world, right? They want all the functionality and they want everything. How does that conversation go? How do you both help them identify what the minimum thing is that they need to put out there, but then also get them comfortable that that's a good thing to do? It's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. <laughs> well, we usually run an exercise about, yeah, like um, needs, requirements, nice to have, right? And trying to categorize from there, right? We uh, try to launch our own products sometimes, and uh, we have a, a story around a, a year game we launch for kids. That is, uh, is based on there's a small dragon, so it's a AR game that it's played by two kids. So one is hiding the dragon and, and pass the, the iPhone to the other guy, okay. the, the other kid, and the kid is trying to, to catch it, right? Okay. Uh, I remember when we created the MVP and I was testing it with my son that they were more excited about hiding the dragon than uh, finding the dragon. Okay. And that's a super interesting insight because you have that intuition of, okay, yeah, a game of hiding the dragon and finding that, but it, I think that 90% of us were like, the good thing is to find the dragon, right? And then as soon as you try the product with real people, 
you see that they are feeling the, the, the product in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of startups start with, I don't know, like uh, let's think uh, about any, any specific way, but at the end they have a value proposition that they want to validate. And the important thing on the MVP is like to create the minimum product that looks trustworthy. It has to be well designed to people trust in the product that this is scalable and that, but at the end is trying to provide you that functionality yeah. and see if users say, yeah, this is what I want. And right. and the reason to do that, just to reframe, would be because, you know, using your scenario, once you figure out that, no, actually people like hiding the dragon better than trying to catch it, that may change where you go next, then, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So at the end, what we want to do is uh, convince the client that first you have to have the bike instead of the car yeah. so you can start moving but you are going in the right direction. And when you start moving, you will be able to do more things, like something exactly. like that. It's like an, an silly example. Yeah. But yeah, it's very common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, the scooter, bike, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and car. And then the car. How do you, so as you're thinking through this, right? So, you, so you've made the bike now. You've, you've figured out what the MVP is with a client. You've tested it with users. You've iterated. How do you avoid forming attachment to what you've done so that if the direction needs to change because of some of this user feedback that you're getting that you are okay with that because i think that's what that's something that's hard right when you take time creating something and you've partnered with a client and then you have to go in another direction yeah well actually that's one of the most, i mean I, I would say that is one of the downsides of our role in the project because we try to be proactive, opinionated on things, but at the end we understand that it's not our company, right? And uh, and sometimes we see directions like, well, yeah, let's see. I mean, we probably do something different, but at the end, I, I think that having a huge attachment to a specific direction is one of the main threats for a startup. Because if you are not listening to your users yeah. and seeing what they really expect, um, you can feel that you're a visioner and you, you have your idea and I know that this will be like that, I mean, things like Twitter, Instagram, that those are like one in one billion, right? At the end, a lot of startups are yes, like saying, okay, why don't we do a digital process for this in real life? And it's a super straightforward process, right? So, so yeah, we as a as a team, we are trying to to be like that. So it's also part of our empathy, right? Like, well, we know that we are until here until this line, we are proposing things, but at the end, it's your company, so you make the decisions. Right? And there is an, um, I think the opposite thing is also difficult because um, is if the needs change or if you are if you are tied to an idea and you, you need to change that, you also need to be motivated to develop one thing that is not in your mind. So um, I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself, but you develop or design an idea and you're attached with that. And but then some contradictions come or the client is not super satisfied with that and you need to change that. Yeah. You still need to be attached with the new idea. You cannot be Ah, uh, that you passive. have to sort of get on board with something yeah. new. Yeah, because that's another thing, right? Of the do you I guess when do you give in to that, right? When do you try to push a client in another direction because you think it's the right direction to go? And when do you let go of that attachment and cater to their needs? Or I guess it's, it always has to be a balance, I suppose. Yeah, well, as a as an agency, in some way we can, or as a studio, I, I like studio more. Uh, we we can always relate to you know timeline, effort, budget, right? And at the end, it's a way of 
saying like, oh, we budgeted this for 200 hours. And if you are taking this direction, probably it will be 500. Are you committed with that? So you have constraints that you can come back to. Exactly. So yep. that's our power as a power weapon for conversations sometimes, because at the end, well, it's not, it's a matter of understanding that technology is expensive and, and if you make bad decisions, you, you can be throwing money, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's part of, of the process too. Like we, and, and that's something that I always try to, to tell to our partners too, is like, we are, fortunately we are successful right now. We don't need to sell ours. So there are a lot of times that we are the ones saying like, let's stop and not build that, this part until we're sure we, we don't need this. I don't know, like whatever thousand dollars, let's stop because I really want you to be successful because at the end I will be more successful too. Right. So. Yep. What about, so we've talked about if the, you know, the client changes directions and, and how hard that can be when you form attachment. And then, you know, Juan, you mentioned needing to form attachment then to the, the new direction. But what about, because I imagine along the way, you're forming that sort of pride in work even before that, right? Where you and the client may be totally aligned and you think you're building the perfect solution, but then you get feedback from the users that that's not the case. How do you, how do you take that feedback? How do you take that critique and do productive things with it because I, f- I feel like and, and this is me looking in from the outside not trained in design but i feel like when people come from a design background or they've spent a lot of time there that the critique process is something that's built in and it's expected and mm-hmm. feelings are taken out of it uh which may not be the case how do you how do you stay open to feedback and iterating it's difficult to it's personality at the end yeah. and mindset of the company because as you said it's more common in design environment, even though you have to be ready for that. I mean, like mm-hmm. sometimes uh, designers are like proposing something and they love what they're proposing and then you receive negative feedback, right? And that's the same as launching a product and receiving negative feedback for users, it's like something you love and you see like how people is like not, not yeah. I mean, giving any value to what you build, right? So at the end, it's something that is part of our work, right? I, don't, I, I think at the first time, it's it's common to have a, like a more emotional response yep. to that, but if you sleep with that idea, sometimes it becomes more rational. You yep. try to understand, um, but so there is a mix of feelings. At the, in the, at the beginning, it's more emotional, it's more passionate, uh, but then you need to understand that you weren't right. If, if you were coaching someone to be more open to critique, because so this is an area in data visualization that is hugely important, right? Getting feedback and iterating and understanding how people are perceiving and using your designs. And often the design's created in a vacuum and then it's put out in a graph and people hope that something good happens with it. And so figuring out ways to instill more critique and iteration and feedback during that process could be a really powerful thing. But how do you coach someone who's getting that sort of feedback maybe for the first time well that they have to learn yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course well, it's a two-side process because uh in some way you have also to teach the client and the partner you know mm-hmm. to provide valuable feedback and i think that's important here because it's not the same to receive feedback as it's very common is one of our jokes right like i like that blue but i don't love it right it's like <laughs> what can i do with that yeah is that's pretty different to say like I'm not sure that the call to action is to sell the book or to, uh, I don't know, like join uh, a community, right? I mean, at the end, that's a different conversation and we can use some data to that, right? So 
trying to be less subjective in some things uh, for the feedback, yeah. both the client in order to provide a good value feedback and also the designer to not have like emotions on how receiving the feedback. Yep. I think it's it's important. And asking these questions, right? That if you're not getting the right sort of feedback, I imagine that drill into that so that you are able to get the right sort of feedback. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Juan, were you going to say something? Yeah, um, I think sometimes in the tech industry, there's a feeling that we are like in the cool in the coolest industry and we think that we know everything we are in uh, like in the top of the way some ego you might yeah. say yeah yeah and but I, th- I think we need to understand that there are people that have other businesses and they they know a lot about their businesses yeah and you need to learn from them because i have probably they are very successful and they are introducing or they're getting their business into technology and doesn't mean that they are like illiterate people or something like that it's just we you need to to learn from well it's coming back to this idea of context and right empathy that you talked about earlier actor yeah and also iteration too because uh something we are doing for the risk in some products and the process of building them is like trying to throw material to the client rapidly Mm -hmm. because sometimes for us it's nearly impossible to understand 100% of their business, right? But as soon as we are putting some screens together, the conversation around that is more solid than when we're still with paper and notes. Because they have something to react to. Exactly. It's like, oh, no, I don't like this navigation. This and it, we weren't talking about it. It's like, oh, what do we talk about it? And then you have a conversation about it, right? It's not about the idea, right? So at the end, it's a way of having a mood of yeah, and and also that's something I wanted to add. I mean, we have attachment to everything we do because we see it like growing from the early days and that, but. For sure, I mean, it's impossible to have the same attachment that the own person that is owning that company has for his baby, right? And sometimes we have to find that limit and say, okay, I'll, I won't say this because this is his product and, and I will respect that, right? So you work with a lot of different companies and have over time. Are you seeing things change? Are there trends or are there sort of underlying commonalities that are staying the same over time? You think across the different sort of clients and products that you're dealing with? Well, we think there are even if we don't realize it. Because, for example, uh, the other day I, I was talking with my, my colleague and, and he said something like, oh, that's two two thousand and." 17 <laughs> and and it was true okay. <laughs> so we don't really realize it well of course we we are uh, informed about the new trend and things and everything but yeah it it happens even if we don't want it so. and sometimes i have to say that we take some advantage of it right because some clients say like i want the product to feel yeah edgy or modern or wherever like some fluffy words and and we say like well i i think i know what are you expecting right because there are some specific websites or products that are like top right now like framer 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 website yeah uh framer for technology website uh marketing website uh airbnb for marketplace or uber for app right so at the end every time that they're referencing something like that's like okay i know which patterns i can use in yeah. that because in and what way, are some of those things today i mean i'm curious to see also what made it look 2017. <laughs> <laughs> it was a website it's yeah. I, I don't really remember the, yeah, the like name gradients, of it typography yeah, yeah. it was like the components the way they they, they use the gradients and and everything it it was like, 
I, I, I don't know how to explain it. Well, yeah. I could if we did a really good uh, <laughs> um, uh, workshop about that. But uh, the thing is that you 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 notice that and there are some components and some colors some typographies that are really trendy at some point and when you the time goes by you you can recognize yep. how everybody was doing that at the same time and we see, we see that with everything right i can think of we see, we see that with houses and the way people build homes and decorate homes or you know in data visualization you certainly see that with fonts and colors and, and styles things. i think that it's a matter of when you see in a tv show uh, a dinner room right like in, in some way you are now conditioned to to want the same dinner room that you you don't remember where you see it but yeah. Now you want it. It's the same for websites, right? Mm. And for products, uh, I'm seeing a trend right now in artificial intelligence, blockchain, machine learning. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs that we are talking to right now is like, yeah, we we this is a, like a normal product, but our backend is machine learning powered or blockchain powered, and that it's like, well, I see that the product is similar value to products from five years ago, but they now have that technology layer on top that is also good for pitch, for selling and that. So those are also trends that sometimes we find in the market. Yeah. And, and what about the flip side of that? Are there underlying universal principles of design that are not going to change as the trends do? What would well, some of those be? Hope for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, and I think... What are some examples of those? For me, uh, if we have to decide uh, to choose one, uh, for me, it's simplicity. At the end, uh, it's a, the main principle to follow in design. And I think, well, actually it was a trend with Instagram, Medium, a, uh, the, all the, the Apple apps for iOS and that, that they, they make a reduction, right? And everything was white, uh, black mm -hmm. typography. And Minimalism. That. Yeah, but at the end it's, 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 it's because we all, everything is super complex right now that as uh, if you don't create a simple flow, the user won't be able to do anything. So I think simplicity is, a, is one of the main things that I really want to, to be focused on every product. And uh, there are things more specific, uh, like, for example, I don't know, uh, the fits law, that it's uh, something in design that we use in design that uh, if you need, if you have a target, the bigger and the closer it is to your to you, the easier it is to, to reach it. So, I mean, it's very, it's pretty obvious, but when And you, how does that, what's a practical example where you can apply? For example, a CTA, a call to action button. Okay. I mean, if it's big enough and if it's located in a, in a position that it's easy to find, it's easier to click. Mm -hmm. But if you hide it or if you make it too small, uh, it's difficult to, to reach it. Lucia? <laughs> so all these patterns that we are using, they are uh, like simplicity and everything that it, we use it but because they work. I think we are going to continue uh, using them until we have a different kind of device. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, when we have a, a different kind of device, um, everything is going to change. Because Meaning it's not a computer screen any longer yeah, or it's not or, a phone screen it's any longer. Different. Think about the pull to refresh. Right? Yeah. That's an yeah. interaction that now is super natural, but even it was Tweetbot, I think, that the guys that created that interaction, and now this is a standard for all the, the apps. So, but without a mobile phone with a touch screen, that's not yeah, possible. possible. So imagine if, I don't know, if we will have in the future, I don't know, a device that can be 
flexed or something mm-hmm. like that, flexible. Yep. Um, it's going to change all the interaction that we have with that kind of device. So design has to change to adapt. Yeah. But so, I, I think that, well, I mean, now we're facing a different era with Alexa and yeah. Google Home and that. But every time you're creating a screen, typography is, I mean, it's like creating a book. You need hierarchy, you need different levels of uh, line heights for committing to different meanings and things like that. So at the end, we use the same skills as we use for a magazine at some point, right? But um, applied in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, I love this. So a simplicity, right? Fits law, put things where they need to be and make them big enough that people can't help but do what they're meant to do. Being adaptive, right, to new technologies. This has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like we've covered so much and, and we could clearly cover so much more. But in the interest of time, I want to wrap up with just one final tip from each of you. If you think of you know, your time designing and building, what's a tip or a trick that you've realized over time that could help someone who's designing something new or wanting to, you know, we use this at Storytelling with Data, think like a designer, right? How, how can someone improve their work by having the lens of design? My tip, well, I think research. Um, I'm not thinking about science right now research is important for everything because when you only think in your intuition and come up with something a design illustration a website and that if you don't compare to what already exists in, in that field you can feel that you are the new steve jobs right like oh look at my website and then you see like no th- there are a lot of flows here and also it's very similar to this and this so at the end, and, and that's something that we try to do here with products, is to be aware of the market, to be aware of the design trends, to be aware of technology, because being aware of the other things, you are more, more sure about what you are doing, right? So I think f- for me is a tip, but at the end it's applicable to life, I think, more than design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be aware. Yeah, yeah be aware. I like that. Yeah. Juan? Um, I think, I mean, we have talked about this before, but don't underestimate the knowledge of the customers. Um, I think you can learn a lot from every person and not because you're working in a fancy <laughs> industry means that you're the smartest guy on earth. Right, so value the opinion of your stakeholders and your clients and your users. That's a great one. Yeah. Lucia? Uh, well, I don't know, but um, <laughs> only a tip, but I think we should make everything interesting. So. There is no clutter. Uh, we have to focus on what the people need and what the user know really well the users so you can offer them what they need. I think that's um, and for data, for design, for everything. Uh, so make everything interesting. In- Fantastic. I think that's a great point to end on. Thank you, Hector, Lucia, Juan, for joining me here today. Thank and- you for having us. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next time.